This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Monday afternoon, January 23rd. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. Steps to help achieve long-term retirement goals. We'll cover that in our next segment. But first, the economic week ahead includes numbers on manufacturing, jobs, and housing. Joining us now with a preview is Bob Bruska, Chief Economist at Fact and Opinion Economics based in New York. Bob, thanks for joining us today. And let's come out, let's talk about the uh, one report that came out today, the Index of Leading Economic Indicators, that uh, shows the index fell once again for the 10th straight month. And if you go by that index, it's pointing straight to the town called Recessionville. Yeah, it, uh, in fact, the decline in the index now uh, has moved the year-over-year decline to a point that's severe enough that it basically is comparable to what we've seen in the past when uh, the economy slipped into recession. Now, is it uh, pointing to? Does it merely just point to a recession, or does is if if you go back and look at uh, previous declines, does it give you an indication of the severity of a recession? I don't think the index uh, tells you much about severity, um, because severity is going to depend on uh, basically how the Fed attacks inflation. And right now, the Fed is already slowing its policy down. It's talking about only a 25 basis point uh, rate hike, and yet inflation is well over the target. I think the risk is that the recession, actually, the risk is the recession won't be very severe. The risk is that it will be mild. And I call that a risk because if the Fed does that, then inflation is more than likely to linger. And we will have an entrenched inflation rate that will cause the Fed to have to keep interest rates high in what would normally be the recovery period, and we will then wind up with a very stunted recovery, and I think it will start to look more like a period of stagflation. Well, so it's, I'm, I'm really more of a fan of having the Fed really go after the inflation rate and get it down. I think that's the better strategy. Go uh, rip the Band-Aid right off. And and part of the uh, run-up in the market so far this year is that there's kind of a bet on investors that inflation will fall precipitously this year and at a rate comparable to either the financial crisis of 2008 or the uh, punishing interest rate hikes of the early 80s. They're anticipating that you're going to see a similar decline just through natural factors this year. Well, that's what it seems like. Yeah, everybody has, uh, you know, making monetary policy by means of forecast rather than by using the tools that have been given you is something that we should be very suspicious of. Uh, Forecasts don't make things come true. And the Federal Reserve has been on a bad run of making policy. Um, From 1985, I'm sorry, from 2015 on, 
the Fed undershot its targets and raised rates constantly, and then and then it let inflation get away in, in this last episode, and now it's, it thinks it's going to come down without the Fed doing anything, and I don't know why they would think that. And then very quickly, we have a, a host of earnings reports this week, and any indications that one business or several businesses will uh, derail the narrative that has been uh, building so far, that economic activity is for sure slowing down? Uh, well, I don't think so. I mean, it, there are all these signs that activity is slowing down, but the job market remains very tight. And so this is the other problem that we have, is that the Fed's raised interest rates, but it's not affected the job market. And if it doesn't affect the job market, it's not clear that you're going to get much of a slowdown. And if you don't get much of a slowdown, how is inflation going to fall? So I think there are all these illogical things that don't really add up to what the market's expecting. And I think that that's why I think markets are at risk. I think they're too Pollyanna looking for too much good news and not being very realistic. Bob Bruska, Chief Economist at Facted Opinion Economics based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up, tips for staying on track with your retirement goals, no matter your age. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A new survey shows nearly 75% of retirees fall short of their retirement income goals. Joining us with retirement advice for every age is Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer at the Wealth Management Group based at Inverness and Downers Grove. Craig, thanks for joining us today. And uh, a point that uh, we bring up often on the Noon Business Hour, especially when we talk to financial advisors, retirement counselors, and other people who help uh, folks uh, manage their wealth, is that you have to be a psychologist as well as a money manager. So for as, as someone who talks to clients, how do you break the news to someone that they're nowhere near, nowhere close to uh, the, the retirement goals they envisioned? Everybody knows. Everybody knows. And I think it's just important to get the information out there. And it's as equally important for people to understand that they're not in this boat alone. There are so many people in the same place. Everyone's behind. And it's about seizing control, not tomorrow, not next week, but right now today, small, meaningful changes that people can make to start working on what they need to do to get retired and then stay retired, Rob. What are the ways in which people are falling? short. Well, I think it's what well, the the culprit is. You know, some people refer to it as the vortex. You can tell I almost tripped over those words. But you know, it's just dealing with the high cost of living, meeting expectations. It's being parents. It's being sons and, and daughters, and it's all the things that come with it. But when I say what should people start doing, everyone probably needs to start living a little bit smaller. And over the next 21 days, reshopping your expenses so you can get some discretionary dollars that can then allow you to nudge your savings just a little bit higher. And then uh, you talk about one one such suggestion is not only just downsize your lifestyle today uh, to get a little more discretionary income, as you talk about, but uh, at the same time, it's uh, it's developing habits that can serve you well in retirement. Well, that's just right. You know, and, and I and no one likes to hear the words budget, but let's be sincere. It's the beginning of the year, Rob. If we're not going to tell our money where to go, we're going to be doomed to always wonder where it went. And you can't take a loan for retirement. You can borrow for college. You can borrow for many things, but I haven't seen any retirement loans yet. So again, based on the gravity of the situation, we've just got to wrestle control and get started. And there are some easy 
easy things that people can do, even considering working a little bit longer than they may have otherwise planned to, and for some, not all, maybe delaying that Social Security to get a higher benefit in the future might make a heck of a lot of sense. And then very quickly, uh, if you are under 50, what are some things you should start thinking about now so you don't have that uncomfortable conversation later? If you're under 50, here's the drill. It is not too late. I don't care how undersaved you are. If you're under the age of 50, we can make this work. Start with your YBP, your big picture. Imagine the freedom and the lifestyle of not having to work. And then immediately, let's find a way within the budget over the next three years to rack up savings that are 15% of your salary. And if we can get to a place of 15% of salary dedicated to retirement, we can thread this needle and make retirement look great. Craig Bellanos, founding partner, chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, the big banks team up to take on Apple and PayPal. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Several major banks, including J.P. Morgan and Bank of America are teaming up to take on Apple Wallet and PayPal with their own digital wallet system. Joining us now to discuss the uh, proposal is Ted Rossman, industry analyst at CreditCards.com based in New York. Ted, thanks for joining us today. How would this system work and how would it differ from the services offered by uh, PayPal and the Apple Wallet? According to this report in the Wall Street Journal, it sounds like the program would be primarily online, which is one big difference. You know, a lot of us picture using Apple Pay at the grocery store or on public transit or, or something like that. It seems like this would primarily be an online play, kind of similar to how you might check out via PayPal at a retailer's website. It also reminds me of what Visa and MasterCard and others have done with Click-to-Pay, that service that, again, sort of speeds you through the checkout flow, mostly online. Is this an offensive or a defensive move, especially since uh, Apple Pay has become uh, such a, a large part of the consumer ecosystem? I think it's more defensive. Some of it is economics, of course. These Card issuers and networks probably don't like paying that 0.15% fee to Apple every time somebody uses a credit card through Apple Pay. I also think there's an element of owning the customer experience here and banks trying to keep this more you know, within the family, so to speak. Apple's really been building out their financial ecosystem. They're entering the buy now, pay later market. They're in the process of rolling out a savings account. They have a credit card. They, of course, have Apple Pay. So I think banks are trying to bring a little more of this in-house if they can. Is this an innovation that was supercharged by the pandemic where businesses and customers uh, really became used to a uh, contact-free method of payment? It's definitely changed in-person behavior. A lot more people are tapping cards and phones. I find this a little curious, though, because this new service seems to be mostly focused online. I mean, of course, online shopping is very much on the rise, but I don't know if people are clamoring so much for 
this type of online experience, I mean, it kind of already exists. The, the easy checkout, uh, whether you're using Click2Pay or PayPal, or if you're saving your credentials with a, a certain retailer, in a way, it kind of reminds me of this thing that big merchants tried almost a decade ago um, called Currency, which was kind of their version of Apple Pay. Um, I suppose that one was more in-person, so I guess that's a, a difference. But I think the point is, it's hard even for big retailers or big banks to supersede Apple. I feel like Apple has a lot of loyal fans. They have done very well with mobile payments. I think for something to truly challenge that, I think it really needs to be new and different and unique. And, you know, details are still coming. But at first glance, I don't necessarily see how this is going to displace Apple Pay. Ted Rossman, industry analyst at CreditCards.com, based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Still ahead, our algorithms are increasingly deciding the fate of workers, and then a pair of investment ideas from our Monday afternoon stock picker. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A man is being hailed as a hero after taking the gun away from the suspected Southern California mass shooter. The FDA considers plans for an annual COVID vaccine. The fire department has fired a first responder in the death of a man from the Buena Park neighborhood. And a new digital network can make it easier for people to get supplies from food pantries. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 336 points. The NASDAQ is up 252. The S&P 500 is up 60. AccuWeather says cloudy, breezy, rather cold today, a high of 33, going down to 29 tonight. We have 29 degrees right now in Chicago at 1231, topping our news at the half hour. After shooting multiple people at a ballroom dance hall, the Monterey Park, California gunman apparently went to a second location where his weapon was taken away from him, although he managed to escape. In an interview with ABC's Good Morning America, Brandon Say says he had to grab the gun from the suspected gunman. At one point, I was able to pull the gun away from him, shove him aside, create some distance, point the gun at him, intimidate him, shot him and say, get the hell out of here. I'll shoot. Get away. Go. Police say the suspect, a 72-year-old Asian man, took his own life after officers approached him in a white van yesterday. There could be a plan in place for an annual COVID vaccine. That's if the FDA votes to do so on Thursday. The administration plans to update the shots at least once a year, beginning in June, with rollouts starting in September. Dr. William Schaffner, infectious diseases professor at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center, says the plan is necessary. It's not a question of whether or not we ought to do this. We need to do it. The question really is, how can we do it in the most effective fashion? 
The FDA will also ask its outside advisors to vote on whether to update all COVID vaccines to the same recipe. Officials say much of the current supplies of the so-called monovalent vaccines rolled out almost two years ago, and that's set to expire. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are trading higher today. Joining us with the latest in what's moving Wall Street is Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital here in Chicago. Jack, thanks for joining us today. And it, the, the, the markets are building on their gains from Friday afternoon. And it seems like investors are betting on the fact that inflation is going to fall and also fall by quite a bit over the course of 2023. But uh, there's a piece in The Wall Street Journal this morning that suggests that the last time interest rates fell that far that fast, it was either accompanied by punishing interest rate hikes or an economic catastrophe. Yeah, it's a, you know, we're walking a fine line. The Fed believes they can engineer a soft landing, and the only way they can do that would be to have uh, inflation drop pretty dramatically uh, and then have those higher overnight rates that the Fed has imposed over the last year, um, you know, quickly ease behind that. But it does seem like the Fed is zeroing in on a hold and pause strategy at their next meeting. That's it. And, you know, investors, optimistic investors have been talking about a Fed pivot that rates will actually head lower in the back half of 2023. Uh, Fed is holding firm to their, you know, get tough and keep it tough policy. Uh, I think uh, the Fed governors recognize that rhetoric uh, is easy and cheap uh, and hope they hope to try to influence behavior if they don't have to raise rates as aggressively as they set out to. And then we do have uh, some tech heavyweights reporting this week, their uh, fourth quarter earnings. Big names, but did they have the potential to be uh, serious market movers, or are they just going to add to the consensus that seems to be building? Yeah, I mean, we've got, let's see, tomorrow we've got Texas Instruments, we've got Tesla, on Wednesday, IBM on Wednesday, uh, Intel Thursday. So certainly a lot of the key players um, will add uh, a little more insight to uh, the, the, the tech picture. Uh, I think investors uh, believe that some of these layoffs and cost-cutting moves uh, will likely um, you know, help stem any margin pressure that some of these uh, companies are under. Uh, we've got Apple up over 3% today. Uh, you're right, building on a lot of the, the gains from Friday. The uh, the shedding of jobs in the tech sector, it's an interesting thing to watch from the outside because it, is this a function of higher interest rates or is this uh, a, 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 pa- a post-pandemic economy and a post-pandemic tech model that they bet on but just didn't come to pass? I think, uh, I think you're right, Rob. I think it's really more the latter. I think there's uh, the, the re- they recognize that the pandemic, the lockdowns, and everything colluded to really help boost technology. Everyone was staying at home. We needed uh, Amazon. We needed Zoom. We needed all of our software. Uh, we were able to to work remotely. Uh, but I think that um, that I you know it's almost like that was the North Pole, and every step that you take from there is is south. So I think that 
Now, uh, perhaps rather than draw trend lines, they have to recognize that that was maybe a peak uh, and they need to adjust their businesses a little bit. And then very quickly, I used to say quite a bit uh, in 2020 and 2021 that uh, we're seeing like five years of technological evolution taking place in a matter of months just because the pandemic was such a disruptive event. And it seems like the tech sector took that to heart. Obviously, they didn't hear it from me, but clearly we're on the same page. And what happens now? Are, are we still in that five-year mode, or are they backtracking a bit? No, I, I still think that um, you know we're making advances. We're, we're now hearing about uh, these advances in AI, they're moving a lot faster than I had anticipated. So I do think that we are on track for the innovation that we've been looking for. Um, I, I, I think that um, the higher interest rates, of course, uh, make betting on a dream a little more expensive uh, than it was uh, a few years ago. So I think investors are going to take some of these longer-term plays that perhaps aren't making uh, money day one uh, with uh, a little more caution and perhaps valuations are, are going to lag as a result. Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer, Crescent Capital, based in Chicago. Coming up next, algorithms are increasingly being used to help decide who stays or who goes when it comes to job layoffs. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. An overwhelming number of HR leaders say they'll rely at least partly on algorithms to decide whom to cut the next time they need to lay off employees. Joining us now to discuss the trend is Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm Too Discerned here in Chicago. Rick, thanks for joining us today. You know, when when a new uh, boss comes in or there's new management, uh, you do the best you can as an employee to uh, 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 chat them up, cultivate them, so uh, they're a little more uh, reluctant to let you go when the time comes, if the time ever comes. Um, does this mean uh, I have to uh, start befriending computers in order to uh, have a long professional career here at the radio station? I don't think so. You know, th- we never saw this in the Jetsons, did we? Um, <laughs> no, no, we did not. Uh, Mr. Spacely was a straight shooter, as I recall. Yeah, exactly. Well, so the, here's the issue that we were, first of all, we're talking about a 15-year gap between the original measure and this one. And you're talking about technology that typically doubles every two years. So absolutely, technology has taken a big chunk out of the HR management system operating. So that's the first part. The second part of this is the survey is is sampling uh, mostly larger companies. They have very different problems than small companies. If you're a 80,000 to 100,000 employee company, yeah, you're going to look at that data and say, I don't want to get sued. So let's make sure that we don't have any discrimination situations in here, whether it's, you know, race, age, gender, et cetera. Um, and then I want to I want to keep my top performers, my key contributors. I want to make sure that I keep those people. If I'm a 50 to 100 employee company, I might have two employees that are worth 10. I'm not going to look at age discrimination and the other stuff, because if they go, I'm going to have to hire you know five to 10 people. The software that's in HR now is absolutely over the top. There is a, there is a software package that claims to do pretty much anything you want for an organization. They tend to be at the larger companies and the smaller the company, the less likely it is that they're going to have those tools. I would be concerned about companies that don't have both parts of the equation. Understanding who you need to get rid of uh, and looking at the data there is fine. But if you don't have software that helps you bring people on board and make sure that they're engaged, evaluate the performance in an objective perspective, 
then you're just you're you're running a funeral home, but you're not you're not running a hospital. You're not taking care of people. You're just trying to figure out how to get rid of them when it doesn't work. How does this algorithm evaluate performers? I mean, obviously, every business has different benchmarks, but uh, in broad strokes, um, how does this you know measure people in their performance? Sure. Well, there, there, and it depends on the organization. If you're if your services industry versus a manufacturing environment, obviously, a manufacturing environment is much easier to measure because you have a production schedule that you're trying to hit by the end of the day, by the end of the shift. If you're talking about a white collar operation, you're looking at you're looking at profitability, profitability clearly. So you're looking at profitability and performance per person. You have metrics that you're given. You have a, a regular target that you're given, and then you have uh, targets for bonus that are, in many cases, for top performers, could be anywhere from 80 to 150 percent of of the potential compensation. So they look at those, and it's driven by what the organization cares most about. The problem with those sorts of metrics is if they're only measuring the individual, it doesn't necessarily measure how the culture or the relationship between the boss and the employee, back to your earlier point, is. If I don't like you, and, and I'd rather have my, my buddy I play golf with in the role, then uh, your ability to do your job is going to be impaired by my how I evaluate you, even though I'm putting data in, it's not objective data if it's my opinion. So you know, there's a lot that needs to be measured in this. It's it's function of numbers. What do you have to get done by the end of the day or the week of the month? How do you how well do you do that work? How much does it contribute to the bottom line of your department area or organization? Uh, that's math, but there's a lot of subjectivity in the math. And then very quickly, Rick, how widespread is this in corporate America? The, the actual tools, I think most companies, uh, 200 to 200 and up, probably have some tools that can give you this data. But just like everything else, uh, you know, I will say I had a friend years ago whose boss, he was trying to hire somebody for, as, a, as a senior executive, and he thought he had the right person. And at the end of the day, the CEO said, well, you know what? They're a tourist. They don't work out at this level. So the, <laughs> so the, subjectivity, the subjectivity of the individual who makes a decision, you know, alternately, yeah, well, okay, yeah, everybody needs to go, but not Joanne. I like her. Well, I mean, if, if it, it's cold comfort for the uh, person being let go, if uh, the answer is truly written in the stars. Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm To Discern, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Travel Tuesday and still to come, a visit with our Monday afternoon stock picker. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Stock Picker Monday on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. And joining us with a pair of investment ideas is Matt. Matt Shapiro, president of MWS Capital here in Chicago. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you have two uh, selections, and your first one, uh, it's kind of a, an acronym to call it that, but your first selection comes from Hollywood and the Vinyl Vineyards. Yes, Warner Music, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about all the digital companies, Netflix, Everyone, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery, AT&T mergers, no one can really keep track of all these. But the one pure play, actually, in music is a company called Warner Music Group, which owns Atlantic Records, which, you know, was the label for Led Zeppelin and everything, has the historic music catalogs, um, you know, big band uh, publishing rights and all that. But, of course, streaming Warner Music, when you download a song on your iTunes, is where all the growth is about 22% a year across 
um, the industry, and that's shown up on the bottom line with very strong earnings, revenues up 16%, streaming up 12% a year. So in this environment where you just don't want to be in a tech stock, maybe highly differentiated core kind of mid-cap company. And then uh, very quickly before we move on to the next thing, and that is this kind of demonstrates a way forward for other media companies that are taking their lumps thanks to streaming. The record business or the music business dealt with all of this 20 years ago with Napster and file sharing and all sorts of music piracy issues that really did take a chunk out of the bottom line. And now the music industry managed to solve that particular problem. Yeah, they did. And actually, throwback is that their physical sales are actually quite strong, too, in the vinyl renaissance. But, of course, nothing like the digital streaming. One day they're going to bring Casingles back. That's, that'll be the day. Uh, what's, exactly. <laughs> what's your next stock? Well, a second kind of, you know, a tech's raging today, and that's great, and we love that. But a second kind of under-the-radar international paper one of the top three companies that when Amazon ships something to you, uh, you know, uh, anything that you get, everything comes in cardboard nowadays. Not paper, this is international paper, but cardboard. That's primarily what they do. A big 5% dividend on international paper, big classic industrial company, uh, one of the top three in the United States. So, again, a sort of under-the-radar core company that maybe you can get excited about this year when you don't just want to be in technology. Matt Shapiro, President, MWS Capital, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us on our Stock Picker Monday. His two selections for the week, Warner Music Group, the ticker symbol WMG, and International Paper, IP. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 